2: There's quite a lot to do in the polytunnel. The sweet peas have uh, long since finished flowering and the bind quite dry. And I can get the uh, strings untied and the bind pulled down, pick what uh, plump pods of seed there are, put those to one side to shell one winter evening and get the uh, old strawry sort of stems onto the compost heap.
1: There is no better group of power
2: Our thanks for this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants of Pershaw in in Worcestershire. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to exchange some news, views, a bit of seasonal advice, and hopefully answer some of your gardening queries on the way. When it comes to my diary it's been a very busy week. Uh, The second visit to Wisley joining the Nemesha Trial Forum. Um, We're growing uh, 60 or so Nemesha at Hyde Hall so when I go to Wisley at least I go with some experience of plants growing under different conditions. The Nemesha Lady Penelope has performed very well for three years with us in Essex. Just as long as we clip it back when there's a lot of seed heads and it uh, with a little bit of watering and feeding soon comes again and flowers time after time. Nicely fragrant too. A visit to the trials and show gardens at Ball Colgrave near West Atterbury were exceptional. Every year they seem to get better. This wholesale UK seed and young plant company is introducing over 400 new plant introductions for next year. How do we keep up with this fast-moving world? I'll be talking about uh, some of the novelties seen in future uh, podcasts. For example, the tomato that you can grow on a windowsill no more than nine inches high that has very tasty fruit. A lovely red Yes, red garden delphinium on stout stems and repeat flowering. Some superb begonias uh, for hanging baskets. A number of them seed-raised that are quite as good as uh, we've come to accept with the cutting-raised begonias. There's galardias that flower more freely than you've ever seen before. Container-grown raspberries, seed-raised strawberries. It goes on and on. I did uh, take a little time off to go with the family and visit the Buckingham Palace Gardens. They are now open to the public and if you're buying a ticket, let me give you a word of advice. Go the whole hog and have the conducted tour. With the conducted tour, you do see the whole gardens and I think uh, some of the more important uh, attractive parts. I mean, it is a really uh, remarkable green oasis in the centre of London and, of course, uh, historically has been the site for all kinds of events. When it comes to seasonal advice, my own garden has been uh, too neglected with so much going on uh, elsewhere. But last weekend, with a little bit of help, we did get both the beech and the yew hedges cut back into shape. I do like to see straight, neat hedges remember always put a sheet down first at the base of the hedge to catch all the trimmings and then clearing up is no more than picking up the four corners of the sheet and carrying the whole lot away and it leaves the ground absolutely clean cut from the base upwards so that the cuttings fall cleanly away onto the sheet and of course it's sensible to try and have the hedge just a little wider at the base The growth always goes upwards, and by having it slightly wider at the base, you can get a stouter, more stable sort of hedge. What's happening on the news front? Well, a recent vote by farmers and growers has led to the demise of the Agricultural and Horticultural Development Board and the statutory levy that it raised. The industry is really divided on this with uh, large companies able to finance their own research while the uh, smaller companies, of course, want to see uh, cooperation, money raised and work done on their behalf. It does, however, also mean the demise of funding of, for example, the Grow Your Own Potato Scheme for schools for more than 10 years now. This initiative has seen potatoes and pots and things sent to 15,000 primary schools nationwide. It taught children where their food comes from, did valuable educational work, and I very much hope a new financial source will be found to continue this very valuable campaign. Veg growers Barfoots have launched a new product called Collie Shoots, which will be sold through Okado. They are very small cauliflowers, but on a long stem, all of which is edible. Quite honestly, uh, when I have a big head of cauliflower, I always peel the stem and cook the centre part with the white curd. But they are now breeding varieties that uh, you eat, not just the small curd at the top, but a lovely green stem. I also hear that the UK blueberry harvest is underway, And that um, the yield in Britain has increased tenfold since 2011. And now the harvest is worth some uh, 500 million pounds a year. How things change. You know, in my childhood, we'd never heard of uh, blueberries. (laughs) This week, in the post back, I've received several queries, including one from Jules Chambers, He hopes I can give some advice on replacing a dead white passion flower, Passiflora cerulea alba. He thinks the frost uh, did it in, and he's bought two new replacements, one white and one deep purple. Do I need to prune as they're going to grow up on an old metal arch? And how do I prevent them getting zapped by another jack frost? Well... They are on the edge of tenderness passion flowers uh, and they really do need to be planted in colder parts of the country somewhere a bit protected and the first year is quite tricky actually if you surround the base with uh, something coarse uh, bracken is the perfect thing but uh, some really tough dry leaves if those are heaped around the base they will be a pretty good insulator and help to keep out frost any pruning will be uh, no more than cutting out dead wood in spring, and once it's got really well established, well, then you may need to just prune it back to keep it under some sort of control. Very interesting flowers, of course. The main reason that we grow both the white and the deep purple Passiflora. If you've got a question about your garden, send it to me at this week in the garden at gmail. Dot com, or tweet me at Let Us Alone. You might just get the answer in next week's podcast. Our interview this week is with Professor Michael Older. He's the former principal of Riddle University College and has made a working life study of land use and how to get the most from it while improving the environment in general. He has uh, some very informed views on solar panels and where they should be sighted. I think you'll be very interested in what he has to say. Here is Professor Michael Alder. You have quite a bee in your bonnet about uh, solar farms and as I drive down the M4 particularly and see acre after acre of them and much the same on the M25 just before you get to uh, the Dartford Tunnel couldn't we use the land beneath them? You know, I have a vision of planting lily of the valley and cropping lily of the valley in the shade of the solar farms. Should we be doing different things with uh, all these enormous stretches of panels?
1: Uh, Peter, I'm not against solar farms. Let's make that clear to start with. It's where they're situated that I have a problem. And your question about uh, can we grow lily of the valley underneath them, Well, well, it is possible, but... One of the problems is that the developers actually often strip the topsoil away from the, the surface, which makes any growing difficult for a while. And if your panels are very dense, which they sometimes are, nothing will grow under them. The more common excuse is that they will put wildflower meadows in and graze sheep. And that can be done, but um, it's, it's not really a very sensible way forward.
2: Well, surely we must have acres and acres of uh, industrial buildings that could carry these things.
1: Very much the case. The uh, Building Research Establishment has worked out there's something like 250,000 hectares of commercial roof space, and if if that was all used for solar panels, then uh, we could get half our country's electricity from that alone. There's brownfield sites, there's poorer grade agricultural land, and there's 17 million homes, many of which... uh, could have uh, solar panels if if they wanted to. So hundreds and hundreds of places that, that they could go um, without using good quality land.
2: Now we have a, a um, planning application in Essex for really quite a big farm and we have some pretty good land in Essex, don't we?
1: Oh, we do indeed, Peter. I mean, the, 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 the plan you're talking about is uh, a plan called Longfield and it's near Hatfield, Peveril and uh, near the village of Turling. Um, it's around a thousand acre site. So it'll be one of the largest single solar farms in the country. And it's mainly on good agricultural land, originally classified in a grading called grade two. It's now been re-looked at and some of it's a slightly lower classification. Uh, but nevertheless, we all know it grows good crops. And and I worked out not long ago if this land was all used for growing wheat then it would provide enough bread for Chelmsford for well over a year so it's a highly significant productive area
2: why is planning allowed then I mean 1000 acres that's an enormous size isn't
1: it well it is enormous size and of course planning hasn't been allowed yet um the the developers have just completed their initial public consultation. And because of the scale of this scheme, it actually goes to the Planning Inspectorate nationally for approval. So we expect an application to be made probably sometime around November time, after which there are two stages before planning may or may not be granted. Ultimately, it's down to the Secretary of State to give approval for this scheme by virtue of its sheer scale. It's what's called a nationally significant infrastructure project which is rather like the HS2 railway scheme.
2: I see. And, and which minister does it go to? Because the minister at DEFRA was a student <laughs> of Rittle at some stage, and one would hope he might have a, a little sympathy in this direction.
1: In, indeed, you're right. You're talking about George Eustace, who was a student of horticulture in my time as principal. Uh, but this application will go to a chap called Kwasi Kartang, who is the, uh, the business uh, minister.
2: How do you think it's likely to go?
1: Oh, (laughs) that's the $10,000 question or whatever they say. I mean, I'd like to think it would get refused because of the quality of land it's on, because of its effect on biodiversity, which I believe will be negative, because it will have a massive impact on landscape in a very pretty part of the county. So I hope the Secretary of State will turn it down. Uh, Indeed, I hope the Planning Inspectorate will turn it down before it ever gets to the Secretary of State. So 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 we'll have to see it. It's a long way to go. And as I say, it's not about being anti-solar. It's about using the wrong land in the wrong place.
2: And Michael, is there scope for more connected thinking? I mean, we seem to have a DEFRA, we seem to have planning, we seem to have local authorities, and all of them seem to be working on their own somehow.
1: I think the biggest problem is that the The large schemes are looked at nationally by the planning inspectorate. So that's a scheme that is putting more than 50 megawatts of electricity into the grid. But there are something like 300 schemes now that are going through local planning authorities. And no planning authority knows what another planning authority is doing. So it's a very, very random process. And in fairness, a lot of local authorities think they're doing a good thing there. They're doing good by the carbon neutral um, agenda, not realising the damage that the totality might, might be having on the system. So it's really getting some, some national scheme in place that's much more positive.
2: Now, all of this really must relate to the way that we use land in Britain. I think 50 years or so ago you studied this.
1: Uh, you're absolutely right. I was very fortunate to get a Churchill scholarship to travel to Japan to study land use and I recommend it. we needed to have a national land use strategy. We needed to put land into categories and make sure that planners and politicians followed as closely as they could these specific categories. Now, fortunately, the National Land Use Strategy, which published by uh, Dimbleby, actually recommended almost identically the same policy. In other words, land is categorised, and then local planners need to follow these categories as close as they can. Land is finite and we need to use it in the best way. Put it in the wrong category and that's very dangerous.
2: And could we sensibly increase the amount of food that we produce?
1: Um, I mean, the national food strategy suggests that there is a an opportunity to increase food. There are yield increases that are possibly uh, able to be got in a sustainable way. And, of course, they're recommending changes of diet, moving away from meat, beef and red meats in particular. And if you can cut back that by 30%, if you can cut food waste back, then we can... Uh, wouldn't say dramatically, but we can significantly increase the amount of food we produce at home. Uh, we're currently importing 40% of our food, and it's likely to rise to 50% because of the factors such as rising population. So, yes, there's, there's a lot we can do, but it's a complex equation. And I'm worried about trying to import too much food from a world that will find it more and more difficult to, to grow as climate change in particular has a big impact.
2: Now, a big part to the foundation of this, of course, will be education and the training of young people in agricultural and horticultural subjects. Most of those courses seem to have disappeared.
1: Yes, you're right. It's very sad, Peter. The quantity of courses has declined and yet the demand for qualified people has increased. So um, there's no doubt there is a shortfall out there. Funding has been one of the issues. Young people not being stimulated enough to come into the industry. But on the other hand, there is an encouragement. There's a lot more increase of uh, the amateur courses, the Royal Horticultural Society courses, and some colleges are still um, managing to attract full-time students and doing very well. So it's not all doom and gloom, but um, there's certainly a corner that needs to be turned. We need to improve the the marketing of these courses. We need to make sure that the government's funding can improve. And if, if all these factors are put in place, then I'm still optimistic that uh, numbers can come through onto the system.
2: And you still have a connection with uh, one of our training establishments, I believe?
1: Oh, I do, Peter, yes. I'm, I've for many years been a trustee at Shuttleworth, which is in Bedfordshire. Although I have stopped being a trustee, I retain an interest on their Education and Research Committee, and I, I'm delighted to say that college is doing extremely well.
2: And And what kind of courses are they offering?
1: They offer a whole range of um, agriculture courses, land use courses, fishery courses and in horticulture the mainstream is the RHS uh, part-time provision which is is very, very popular and linked in with the delightful Swiss gardens which I'm sure you're familiar with which are on that site.
2: What would you see as the ideal today in the terms of uh, the introduction of training in horticulture and gardening?
1: the issue of course is that um it's not a national policy it depends on the individual university or the individual college what they wish to implement and that in a way comes down to money and how much finance is coming into that college to make the course viable and the appeal the college and the university can make to the individual to come forward so it's very much a combination of factors and i think industry has a part to play as well in promoting its need for young graduates and young practitioners. So it's a combination of things. And um, I hope bodies like the RHS, um, bodies like the Horticultural Trades Association, they can all take a bit of a lead in, in trying to get some real promotion going on out there. And indeed, the the college principals and and university vice-chancellors where such expertise lies can be rarely persuaded to work hard to develop these initiatives.
2: Yes, at present I'm in discussion with several people in the garden centre industry because staff on garden centres could well, in a number of cases, be trained in plant knowledge and uh, cultivation and in high summer garden centres aren't quite as busy and we could have two-week resident courses, to update some of those skills so that the college continues to work when the regular students would be in downtime do you think that's a viable option
1: very much so i mean i this is basically the the apprenticeship work and um i think the new technical levels that are going to come in combined with apprenticeships are are one of the real ways forward there is work out there and if it can be combined with proper training and qualifications that is the way forward peter very much so
2: Uh, michael certainly gives us food for thought and the need for more joined up thinking from uh, both uh, our planners and our educationalists. Time is running out for this podcast, but just time for my tailpiece a quote from Sophie Skoll. Who would have thought it possible that a flower could preoccupy a person so completely that there simply wasn't room for any other thought? <laughs> It's a quote which came to mind when uh, rose breeder Chris Warner told me that on a 20-plus hour flight to New Zealand, he spent the whole period chatting to his neighbour about roses. There you are. You can never have enough about roses, according to Chris. There is no better group of for power
1: than forms of the shrubby potentilla like flowers,
2: from to the first frost. Our thanks to this week's sponsor of Day Plants Day. Limited of Pershaw Worcestershire Best To my producer Day. Rich Jarman And of course to you for listening I hope you have a good week in the garden And remember it's the flower show at Hyde Hall through to Sunday And I look forward to bringing you more garden news next week